If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In the first episode of the TV series Ozark, we're introduced to a financial advisor from Chicago named Marty Bird, played by the actor Jason Bateman. By the time we meet Marty and his business partner, Bruce, they've already been laundering money for a Mexican drug cartel through a local trucking company for several years. Unbeknownst to Marty, Bruce got greedy and started skimming money off the top of these dirty deals. Eventually, the cartel realizes they're about $8 million short, and they send some muscle to execute them. After Bruce is killed in front of him, Marty shows the assassin a flyer advertising businesses in the Ozarks, a region that straddles northern Arkansas and southern Missouri, a beautiful backwoods vacation spot. Marty tells the cartel that the Ozarks have untapped potential for washing money. Forget the $8 million, he says. How would they like Marty to launder half a billion dollars? If they let him live, he'll show them how. It's all a bluff, by the way, but Marty's a smart guy, and he'll find a way to do it if it keeps his family alive. It's a great show. High stakes, high suspense, great cast, great writing. Solid. You don't have to understand how money laundering works to enjoy the show, but if you do, it makes it so much richer. Money laundering is also one of the most common white-collar crimes in the world, so if you're any kind of true crime addict, you really should know what it's all about. For example, you might be interested to know that the United States government profits off money laundering. See, the purpose of money laundering is not to hide illegal profits. It's a way to pay tax on them, to make drug dealers pay their fair share, 
like everyone else. This is The Philosophy of Crime, and I'm your host, James Renner. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 100 years ago, it was a lot easier to hide dirty money, and that was a big problem. See, all the money that was made on drugs and booze and gambling was tax-free, and taxes are what pay police to investigate crime. So you can see how the good guys were losing quickly. The crimes were hard to investigate because the mob always protects its own, And the departments were too underfunded to hire more detectives to catch them because the mob didn't pay their taxes. This self-sustaining crime machine kicked into high gear during Prohibition, the years between 1920 and 1933 when alcohol was illegal in the United States. This was the era of the bootleggers, old-fashioned gangsters who trafficked in whiskey and made a fortune off our vices. The leader of Chicago's crime syndicate back then was one Alphonse Gabriel Capone, Al for short, also known as public enemy number one. Now, Elliot Ness and his detectives knew damn well that Al Capone was the mob boss in charge of all this illegal activity in the greater Chicago area, but it was near impossible to get anyone to testify against him. Their witnesses and their juries were either too afraid of Capone or they sincerely liked the guy. Capone liked to give a portion of his ill-gotten gains to neighborhood programs and He considered himself a kind of modern-day Robin Hood. So the feds focused on his financials. Capone was an extravagant spender, but when he filed his taxes, he listed very little income. Bootleggers, after all, don't provide W-2s. He had to justify to the tax man how he could afford all this wonderful stuff. And he couldn't do that without admitting to more serious crimes. So he was convicted of tax evasion and sent to Alcatraz. This had an immediate effect on organized crime across the country as other mobsters took note of the government's tacit deal. If you wash your money and you pay your taxes, we won't put you behind bars. Cleaning, washing, laundering. Where'd the slang even come from? Rumor goes that the first criminals to launder money used cash-only laundromats to hide their ill-gotten gains, but that's not true. The slang actually comes from the United States Treasury, which was where banks sent dirty money. I'm talking literal dirty money, as in dollar bills caked with grime and mud. See, some accountant at the Treasury Department figured out that it cost the government 
$1.30 to print $100 bills. But it only costs $0.30 to clean $130 bills and put them back into circulation. Journalists like the slang and attribute it to the new method the mafia used to figuratively clean their dirty cash. Okay, okay, great. But how does it work? First, let's define it. Money laundering is the process by which you take money earned from illegal activity and mix it with legally earned money so that you can report it on your taxes and spend what remains however you wish without needing to explain how you can afford a new jet ski. There are several methods of money laundering. The most popular and the sort of money laundering that Marty is orchestrating for the Mexican drug cartel is the kind that uses a legitimate cash business to hide income. Popular money laundering fronts are places like strip clubs, car washes, restaurants, establishments where it's hard to keep track of how many customers come and go in a day. But for our example, let's use a parking lot. Let's say I own a parking lot in downtown Akron, Ohio, a parking lot that has 100 spaces. And if you park there, you have to pay $10 cash, which you push into one of those little slot boxes by the gate. Meanwhile, I'm also dealing cocaine in the clubs. Hit me on the burner prepaid wireless, know what I'm saying? (laughs) Anyway, on Tuesday night, 10 cars park in my lot, and I legitimately make $100, while earning $900 selling coke. On my bank statement that night, I lie, and I say the parking lot was full. Who the hell ever counts cars in an Akron parking lot after all? I put that $900 I made off the drugs into the deposit envelope with the other $100, and as far as the bank knows, the entire $1,000 came from my lot. Now the illicit money is as clean as a baby's butt, and after I pay my taxes on it, I can spend what's left on comic books and Star Wars figures. Win-win, baby. That's classic laundering. But there are many other flavors these days that are just as effective. Casinos work very well for laundering as long as you don't get too greedy. I can walk $5,000 in dirty cash into a casino, buy some chips, play craps for an hour, then cash out. It's then clean and I pay taxes on the winnings. If you're moving a lot of money, like cartel money, you can get a dirty accountant like Marty Bird to construct shell companies, trusts, and offshore banks and move the money around in a circle until nobody can figure out where it originally came from. Some mobsters simply bought their own banks. Who's going to report red flags to the feds if the bankers are on the payroll? My favorite method of money laundering is when grifters scam the elitist world of art collecting. If you have $10 million cash from selling blue crystal meth in New Mexico, you can simply buy a Van Gogh anonymously. Then in a year or two, you can put that same painting up for auction because you've already set its value it's likely you'll even make a profit. And all that money is now clean. Most times, in order to mitigate risk, launderers don't even actually receive the artwork they buy. Instead, the painting sits in what's called a free port, usually on foreign soil near an airport. These are large tax haven warehouses, and there it sits until they sell it again. Now, here's the really fun part. If they sell it to another money launderer, and they in turn sell it to another doesn't really matter if that artwork even physically exists, does it? You're buying art that nobody ever sees, nobody ever touches. And that, my friend, is what a digital NFT is. 
What clever fucking capitalists we've become. When I was a working reporter in Cleveland, we had a group of local politicians who liked to award no-bid contracts in exchange for campaign contributions and bribes. And they found all kinds of inventive ways to launder that money. They'd buy up untraceable gift cards with the cash, for instance, or they'd have the construction business remodel their home for free. The invoices moving from accounts payable to accounts receivable in the blink of an eye. My favorite shameless grift was one I actually uncovered as a reporter. The mayor of Cleveland, Mike White, arranged a dirty deal in which his city sold a plot of contaminated land in the ghetto to one of his biggest campaign contributors for pennies, and then his friend immediately sold it back to the city for millions of dollars. Mayor White retired while under investigation by the FBI and went to live on his alpaca farm, which was funded by a nonprofit which in turn was funded tax-free by his old campaign accounts. You know what they ended up doing with that contaminated land, by the way? They built the new juvenile jail on top of it. And so it goes. It was money laundering that eventually nailed one of President Trump's top lieutenants during Robert Mueller's investigation into the campaign fuckery of 2016. Remember Paul Manafort, Trump's campaign manager? He made a bunch of money in Ukraine doing some very sketchy work for the former puppet president of Ukraine, Viktor Yanukovych, which he didn't want to take credit for. So Manafort parked it in an offshore company that didn't report to the IRS. That company in turn purchased real estate in New York City. Then Manafort took out $19 million in loans using those homes as collateral, according to articles in The Intercept. Those loans became his income, which he did not have to report on his taxes. Voila. It's estimated that almost a third of real estate property available in New York City is now being used in similar money laundering schemes, which in turn inflates housing prices. You have to be a crook to afford to live in Manhattan these days. Are you beginning to see that our entire financial system is one big Ponzi scheme? One day we'll have to reckon with that. Until then, the party continues. The International Monetary Fund believes something like $2 trillion is laundered every year around the globe. You're probably guilty of some small-scale money laundering, too. Have you ever turned an accident into the insurance and received more money than it costs to fix your car? Have you used student loan money to buy booze instead of textbooks? That's right, you're a small-time thug. Congratulations. Anyway, this is the philosophy of crime, so let me riddle you a little philosophical quandary. Why are drug dealers forced to launder money in the first place? Who decided cocaine or meth is illegal, but booze is not? And where is the victim in all this? A crackhead knows they're hurting their body a bit, but they decided that their long-term health is not as important as short-term pleasure. But isn't it still their body, their choice? Who are we to tell them they can't experience such pleasures? Why is any of this stuff illegal? I think it's time I introduce you to the concept of hedonism and a wild man from centuries ago named the Marquis de Sade. Hedonism is a set of philosophical theories that are all about pleasure. If you're a hedonist, your drive in life is to maximize pleasure. When you really think about it, it's hard to find fault in that way of living, right? Right? 
who doesn't want to feel great all the time. In the 4,000-year-old story, The Epic of Gilgamesh, one character gives advice on living happily. Fill your belly, he said. Day and night, make merry. Let days be full of joy. Dance and make music day and night. These things alone are the concern of men. It gets complicated, though, when you come to believe that your will is more important than the will of others. Perhaps what brings you pleasure brings somebody else pain. What makes your pleasure more important than theirs? Consider the crime of rape, for instance. A terrible man may find pleasure in the act of rape at the great cost of the victim. Most sane people would agree that is not okay. True hedonists wouldn't care. Donatien Alphonse Francois was born in 1740, the son of a nobleman, the Count de Sade, making him a marquis, hence the name Marquis de Sade. When he was little, his father abandoned his family and his mother became a nun. In place of parents, the Marquis de Sade was raised by servants who gave him anything he wanted. He was known as a spoiled, angry child, always seeking pleasure. By the time he was 23, the Marquis had already gained a reputation in Paris for being sexually promiscuous and experimental. Young prostitutes came and went from his castle. The police began to surveil him and discovered he'd had an orgy with four prostitutes and a manservant during which a lot of fun anal sex was had. The Marquis and his manservant were sentenced to death for sodomy and fled to Italy. But they were soon caught and sent to prison, only to escape four months later. Thus became a regular game of cat and mouse where the Marquis would get out of jail and go home to have wonderful sex parties, only to be sent back to prison for his debauchery. Or sometimes they'd send him to the asylum. During his imprisonment, the Marquis wrote erotic novels on scrolls and hid them in the walls. His most famous work, The 120 Days of Sodom, was written while he was stuck in the Bastille, just before it was stormed during the Revolution. He wrote this one book, Justine, about a young woman who explores sex between the ages of 12 and 26. Most of her sexual encounters are tinged with perversion and violence, and at one point she's captured by monks and forced to become a sex slave in their monastery. This recurring theme of sexual pleasure through violence is how the term sadism came about, by the way. Marquis de Sade, Sade being the root of sadism. Napoleon himself called for the Marquis' arrest after the publication of Justine. His story does not end well. The Marquis was declared insane in 1803 and committed to the Charentum Asylum. And somehow, even that didn't slow him down. As an inmate, he managed to have frequent sex with the 14-year-old daughter of an asylum employee for several years until his death. As soon as he was in the ground, his son burned the rest of his unpublished manuscripts. Through his shockingly shameless writing, the Marquis de Sade became the patron saint of hedonism. And even those who seek pleasure agree that maybe he took things just a little too far. But, but the Marquis understood better than most that the world in which we have found ourselves is full of suffering and strife and danger, and so he sought out pleasure whenever and however he could get it. Maybe we can't agree with everything he did, but we can, as humans, understand it. Crackheads and methheads and cocaine addicts and Adderall abusers and Oxycontin cravers, they're all motivated by pleasure, by the experience of, for a temporary amount of time, 
being removed from a world of suffering. Some of these people have experienced severe tragedy, terrible circumstances, and most are only hurting themselves. They seek out drug dealers the way rich people seek out permissive doctors to alleviate pain. If you can't afford insurance, you can always afford crack. Perhaps as much as we hate to admit it, on some level we know that drug dealers, especially in America, are providing a service that helps people with their pain, whether it's physical pain or existential pain. One thing is certainly clear. Uncle Sam could care less if you do drugs, so long as someone pays taxes on it. And that is the true purpose of money laundering. The Philosophy of Crime is a Fearful Symmetry production. This episode was recorded by Jeff Koval at the State Level Recording Studio in Fairlawn, Ohio. It was produced and edited by William Mankey. I'm James Renner. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out my new weekly podcast, True Crime This Week. William Mankey also writes the music for this podcast. Look for his other creations, including Genius Dice, wooden dice that will give an artful twist to your gaming night, and his new Dueling Pints drinking game. It's rock, paper, scissors on a pint class. Both are available on Amazon. Until next time, remember, there's a simple but challenging solution to the epidemic of crime. If everybody took the time to make good friends with their neighbors, we would know when someone needs our help before they become a statistic. Don't be fearful of the world. Make friends and make it better.